All right, let's talk about the last half of Volume 3 of Pride and Prejudice. Now, Elizabeth has found out that Darcy had attended the wedding of Lydia and Wickham, and she's written to Mrs. Gardner to find out what happened. And in Chapter 10 of Volume 3, we get the, the letter from Miss Gardner, Mrs. Gardner, and she says she she's surprised. She said, I had not imagined such inquiries to be necessary on your side. So she just assumed that Elizabeth knew this, uh, uh, presumably because she thought that uh, Mr. Darcy had told her about it. So she find, and we here we find out that it was Mr. Darcy who came by, and he had found where Mr. Wickham and Lydia were living. And he was going to get them to marry and, and do all that. And it says the motive prof- professed uh, of his being owing to himself that Wickham's worthlessness had not been so well known. That if it had not been for his mistaken pride, that this would have been public knowledge and, and Lydia would never have been able to be seduced by Wickham. Though Mrs. Gardner adds, if he had another motive... I am sure it would never disgrace him. So she's very delicately saying, I think he did it because he likes you, Elizabeth. Um, so he finds that it turns out that the uh, governess to Miss Darcy, Mrs. Young, who is the one who helped Wickham to elope or try to elope with uh, Miss Darcy, is in London. And uh, Darcy figured out that she would know where Wickham was. And indeed she did. Um, and he gets Wickham to... He finds out Lydia was expecting to get married. Wickham had no plans to get married. Um, and it, there were negotiations in the middle of 220. says, Wickham still cherished the hope of more effective, effectively taking his fortune by marriage. Uh, he, he figured he would you know, find a richer, rich woman to, to marry. Why would he marry Lydia? So Darcy's going to, basically he's saying Darcy's going to have to pay up if he wants him to marry Lydia. And he says, Wickham, of course, wanted more than he could get, but at length was reduced to be reasonable. And notice on the, the bottom of 220, Mrs. Gardner commenting about Darcy, that he, he our visitor was very obstinate. I fancy, Lizzie, that obstinacy is the real defect of his character after all. He has been accused of many faults at different times, but this is the true one. Nothing was to be done that he did not do himself. So his obstinacy, his stubbornness, is his real vice. And of course, in this case, that vice was quite a virtue. He was determined he was going to do this and he was going to take care of it and nobody was going to get in his way of that. So now Elizabeth knows the that basically Darcy is the reason that this marriage came off. If it wasn't for Darcy, Wickham wouldn't have married her. Lydia would be disgraced. Their family would be shunned by society. Um, and she, at least Mrs. Gardner, is pretty clear that part of the reason is that he's still in love with Elizabeth. And in fact, Mrs. Gardner, at the end of her letter, says that he, the Mr. Darcy, wants nothing but a little more liveliness. And that, if he marry prudently, his wife may teach him. Well, I mean... Uh, Elizabeth is nothing if not lively. Uh, she's again kind of, you know, nudging her and saying, hint, hint. 
And we go into, uh, as we so often do, and especially in this, the latter parts of the novel, we go into Elizabeth's reflections about this. You know, her, her heart did whisper that he had done it for her, but she can hardly bear to believe that. And to realize that having, you know, making, if that's so, if Darcy married her, he'd have Wickham for a brother-in-law. And it says at the top of 223, for herself she was humbled, but she was proud of him. Proud that in a cause of compassion and honor, he had been able to get the better of himself. So this is, if, if Darcy was accused of pride, this is something that was completely against that. He, this was not something a proud man would have done to help some a, a scoundrel like Wickham who had you know, uh, injured him before. And Wickham shows up again in the end of this chapter. After Elizabeth has read the letter, she has a conversation with Wickham, uh, mentioning that she's been at Pemberley and uh, saw the old housekeeper, um, and here, there's a lot of, you know, very, uh, they're, on both sides, they're not saying what they really mean to say. But Elizabeth is kind of putting uh, Wickham in his place, uh, keeping, uh, uh, make, letting him know that she knows what he's, what a, you know, terrible person he is, and that Darcy really isn't as bad as, as Wickham tried to portray him. Um, and a lot of the little digs like, she asked him, you remember he was supposed to uh, take holy orders, and she said, how should you have liked making sermons? Now, that's a particularly cutting thing for somebody who's done what Wickham has just done, you know, kind of run off with a girl with no intention of marrying her. And in fact, the in chapter 11 begins, Mr. Wickham was so perfectly satisfied with this conversation that he never again distressed himself or provoked his dear sister Elizabeth by introducing the subject of it, and she was pleased to find that she had had enough, that she had said enough to keep him quiet. So she's, again, really put him in his place, and he, he realizes she knows what's up. He's, she's, he's not going to be able to fool her anymore. So finally, uh, Wickham and Lydia leave. Remember, he's going to be has a commission uh, he, in the north of England. It'll take him away from the, the town. And Mr. Bennett, on 225, in his usual kind of sarcastic way, uh, says, He is a, uh, as fine a fellow, said Mr. Bennett, as soon as they were out of the house, as ever I saw. He simpers and smirks and makes love to us all. I am prodigiously proud of him. I defy even Sir William Lucas himself to produce a more valuable son-in-law. Of course, that son-in-law is Mr. Collins, and we know what uh, uh, Mr. Bennett thinks of him. Um, he's he's seen through Wickham, um, and th- that phrase makes love to us all. And this time, make love had no connotation of of sexual intercourse. It just mean to to talk, uh, to 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 woo somebody, to speak sweet nothings. Uh, he's he's uh, he's basically saying that Wickham's a player. He's uh, he talks a good game, but now we can all see through it. But the next big development is that Mr. Bingley is coming back to the neighborhood, and Elizabeth is playing it very cool. She says, I do assure you that the news does not affect me either with pleasure or pain. Um, And Elizabeth is wondering about Bingley coming and wondering whether he was coming there with his friend's permission 
or being bold enough to come without it. That is, she's thinking, as always, about Darcy now. Did Darcy say it was okay for him to come, or is he coming in spite of Darcy? And we get more of uh, Mr. Bennett's smartassery. Mrs. Bennett says, oh, well, you have to call on Bingley the minute he gets here so that, you know, maybe there's still a chance for for Jane. Um, And he says, no, no. You forced me into visiting him last year and promised if I went to see him, he should marry one of my daughters. But it ended in nothing, and I will not be sent on a fool's errand again. Um, He's just teasing. But now that they're uh, acquainted, Mr. Bingley can come and visit them, and of course he does. Um, And he comes with Mr. Darcy, who, you know, which really upsets uh, Mrs. Bennet, who, you know, kind of can't stand the sight of him. And so... Elizabeth is now getting this visit from Mr. Darcy, and she knows now what a debt that the family owes to him. And she's trying to, she thinks maybe he did it because he loves her, or did he? Or is it really just because of his own guilt about not outing uh, Wickham's uh, vices earlier? So she says, uh, 228, let me first see how he behaves, she said, and it will then be easy enough, for exp- early enough for expectation. She sat intently at work that she's uh, doing some uh, uh, some sewing, striving to be composed and without daring to lift up her eyes till anxious curiosity carried them to the face of her sister. As the servant was approaching the door, Jane looked a little paler than usual, but more sedate than Elizabeth had expected. So we've we got several things going on here. We've got Elizabeth is worried about what Darcy thinks. She's worried about, is is, is Jane really over Bingley? Because uh, I don't think Bingley's over her. How is this all going to work out? Um, and she doesn't get any read on Darcy. Um, and wonderful, again, Jane Austen is so on target with these kind of things. Page 229 when she doesn't get any indication from Darcy that he is interested in her, he says she was disappointed and angry with herself for being so. You know, could I expect it to be otherwise, she said. Yet why did he come? Um, so she she kind of can't, again, can't get a read on him. And at the beginning of in the next chapter, chapter 12, it says that Mr. Darcy's behavior astonished and vexed her. Why if he came only to, why if he came only to be silent, grave, and indifferent, said she, did he come at all? She could settle it in no other way that gave her pleasure. He could still be amiable, still pleasing to my uncle and aunt, when he was in town, and why not to me? If he fears me, why come hither? If he no longer cares for me, why silent? Teasing, teasing man, I will think about him no I will think no more about him. Uh, of course, yeah, we all believe that. Uh, but again, Jane Austen is so good at catching the, the, these kinds of internal debates that you have in uh, you know at this point in a relationship. Why does, does he like me? Maybe he doesn't. He doesn't seem. He didn't give me an indication. Uh, you know, all of this kind of back and forth, this internal debate that goes on. Uh, that uh, just you know the, and the obsession of it. You know, she can't think about anything else. And there's also, of course, the the budding romance between Jane and Bingley. And when Bingley comes back the next time, uh, bottom of 231, on entering the room, he seemed to hesitate. But Jane happened to look round and happened to smile. It was decided. He placed himself by her. 
Uh, okay, so that, that smile was enough of an indication for him to go f forward. And we can see, it as unlike the, um, relate, the, the problem she's having with figuring out Darcy, Elizabeth is very clear that Bingley and Jane are still in love with each other, though Jane is still playing coy about it. She's not, and this is, you know, kind of the way that Jane Austen maintains the suspense here. I mean, we know that these couples are going to get together, but this is the last kind of resistance, that Jane is, is still being aloof, seeing, you know, still, oh, well, no, I'm not going to give in to that anymore, though, of course, she will very soon. And Bingley, who comes again in his proposal to Jane, happens kind of off stage. They're left alone in in the room together, and uh, Elizabeth walks in on them, uh, line, on page 236. He said, On opening the door, she perceived her sister and Bingley standing together over the hearth, as if engaged in earnest conversation. And had this led to no suspicion, the faces of both, as they hastily turned round and moved away from each other, would have told it all. Their situation was awkward enough, but hers, she thought, was still worse. Not a syllable was uttered by either, and Elizabeth was on the point of going away again when Bingley, who, as well as the other, had uh, sat down, suddenly rose and, whispering a few words to her sister, ran out of the room. And so she kind of catches them. They're very close. They're talking. And they suddenly she comes in. They look guilty and sit down, and then he runs out of the room. But Bingley has proposed, and Jane says, "'Tis too much, she added, by far too much. I do not deserve it. Oh, why is not everybody as happy? Um, and so he's already, Bingley has already gone to ask her father for permission to marry her, which, of course, he gives. Look at the bottom of 237. "'You are a good girl,' he replied, "'and I have great pleasure in thinking you will be so happily settled. I have no doubt of your doing very well together.' Your tempers are by no means unlike. You are each of you so complying that nothing will ever be resolved on, so easy that every servant will cheat you, and so generous that you will always exceed your income. Again, this is uh, the kind of sarcastic thing that Mr. Bennett says, but he's actually is very happy uh, that uh, they're married, that Jane is married to somebody that she genuinely likes and genuinely likes her. And Jane says that I, he has made me so happy by telling me that he was totally ignorant of my being in town last spring. I had not believed it possible. Now remember that the uh, Darcy and his sisters kept that news away from uh, Bingley because they didn't want that uh, relationship continued. So we have one happy marriage nicely resolved here. Now in the next chapter, a mysterious carriage draws up to the house in chapter 14, and it turns out that it is Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and that she wants to go, she wants to talk to Elizabeth. Uh, they decide to take a walk, and the top of 241, um, go, my dear, cried her mother, and show her ladyship about the different walks. I think she will be pleased with the hermitage. Now, hermitage was a little little shack that you would have in a, in a, 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 a 18th century garden. Uh, there wasn't actually a hermit there, but it looked very picturesque to have the, a hermitage there. Um, and this conversation is, is one of the uh, sparkling highlights of the book. Let's go through this. Page 241, Lady Catherine says, you can be at no loss, Miss Bennet, to understand the reason of my journey hither. 
And Elizabeth, indeed, you are mistaken. I have, you know, I have no earthly idea why you're here. Um, and Lady, uh, Lady Catherine says, my character has ever been celebrated for its sincerity and frankness. And in a cause of such a moment as this, I shall certainly not depart from it. A report of a most alarming nature reached me two days ago. I was told not only your sister was on the point of being most advantageously married, but that you, that Miss Elizabeth Bennet, would in all likelihood be soon afterwards united to my nephew, my own nephew, Mr. Darcy. And Elizabeth is so great here. She comes, he says, I, I, this is scandalous. You know, I knew it couldn't be true. And Elizabeth asks, if you believed it, uh, it impossible to be true, said Elizabeth, coloring with astonishment and disdain, I wonder you took the trouble to, of coming so far. What could your ladyship propose by it? She's saying, oh, really? This is impossible? That's why you drove all the way here to ask me about it? Um, and that coloring with astonishment and disdain. So she's surprised, but also kind of contemptuous of uh, Lady Catherine and her, her pompous uh, nature here. And Lady Catherine accuses her of spreading the rumor herself. Has it, has it not been indecorously, uh, industriously circulated by yourself? Do you not know that such a report is spread abroad? I never heard that it was. And can you likewise declare that there is no foundation for it? I do not pretend to possess equal frankness with your ladyship. You may ask questions which I shall not choose to answer. This is not to be borne, Miss Bennet. I insist on being satisfied. He has, has he, has my nephew, made you an offer of marriage? Your ladyship has declared it to be impossible. Uh, Elizabeth, now, Elizabeth is, you know, she has her own complicated feelings about Darcy. But basically, well, she's actually, her feelings are fairly straightforward, but she's not sure how he feels about her. And she's really upset at Lady Catherine coming here and butting into all of this. And she's very sharp-witted in the way she replies. She says, well, you can ask, but uh, as a lady, I don't have to answer. Uh, or did he af offer to marry you? You just said that's impossible, right? Um, and, uh, you know, Lady Catherine says, I am almost uh, the nearest relation he has in the world and am entitled to know all his dearest concerns. But you are not entitled to know mine. Nor will such behavior as this ever induce me to be explicit. He says, look, okay, maybe you get to know what happens to your nephew. You have no connection to me. You have no right to come here and, and demand these things of me. And then we get to what Lady Catherine's really mad about. He says, Mr. Darcy is engaged to my daughter. Now what have you to say? Only this, that if he is so, you can have no reason to suppose he will make an offer to me. She always comes, you know, she comes back, and, uh, you know, just with like a stiletto, uh, uh, Elizabeth comes right back and cuts to the heart of things. Oh, well, if he's already engaged, then you can't be worried that he'd offer me to get married. And Lady Catherine says, the engagement between them is of a peculiar kind. It, well, yes, it's peculiar in that it's not actually an engagement. It's just that the parents always assumed that they would get married. Um, and Elizabeth replies, I shall certainly not be kept uh, from it. Uh, from uh, marriage of Darcy by knowing that his mother and aunt wish him to marry Miss de Bourgh. Uh, you both did as much as you could in planning the marriage. Its complete completion depends on others. 
If Mr. Darcy is neither by honor nor inclination confined to his cousin, why is not he to make another choice? And if I am that choice, why may not I not accept him? He's saying, look, this is, you know, he's, he's, he's basically saying, look, he's not engaged. You want him to be. He's the one who's going to decide this. And if he decides to marry me, why can't I say yes? And um, Lady Catherine says, you will be censured, slighted, and despised by everyone connected with him. Your alliance will be a disgrace. Your name will never be mentioned by any of us. These are heavy misfortunes, replied Elizabeth. But the wife of Mr. Darcy must have such extraordinary sources of happiness necessarily attached to her situation that she could, upon the whole, have no cause to repine. That's <laughs> just brilliant. He's saying, look, everyone in, in my social circle will hate you. I said, yeah, but you know, if I were married to Darcy, I kind of wouldn't mind that. I mean, that would be so great that it wouldn't matter. Um, and... Uh, she says, Lady Catherine says, comes back, says, uh, again, she's given all these reasons. Well, they were meant to be engaged. Or she says, they were, um, everyone will despise you. And now she says, my daughter and my nephew are formed for each other. And she, what she means is they're of the same class, that uh, he is this rich gentleman. Uh, her, she, her, uh, her daughter is also rich and of the same social status. And again, Elizabeth just comes right back at her. She says, In marrying your nephew, I should not consider myself as quitting that sphere. He is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. She's like, Look, don't pull rank on me. My father is a gentleman just like uh, you, like your father or Mr. Darcy. Uh, I, I'm, it's not like he's slumming to marry me. And then Lady Catherine asks her point blank, this is the top of 244. Tell me, once and for all, are you engaged to him? I am not. Lady Catherine seemed pleased. And will you promise me never to enter into such an engagement? I will make no promise of the kind. Um, and she says, Miss Bennet, I am shocked and astonished. I expected to find a more reasonable young woman. But do not deceive yourself into the belief that I will ever recede. I shall not go away till you have given me the assurance I require. And I certainly never shall give it. I am not to be intimidated into anything so wholly unreasonable. Your ladyship wants Mr. Darcy to marry your daughter. But would my giving you the wished-for promise make their marriage at all more probable? Supposing him to be attached to me, would my refusing to accept his hand make him wish to bestow it on his cousin? So she's saying, look, you're not even making sense. Yes, I know you want him to marry your daughter, but if I, if I tell him no, that doesn't mean he's going to marry your daughter. Says, um, you have widely mistaken uh, my I says, and allow me to say, Lady Catherine, that the arguments with which you have supported this extraordinary application have been as frivolous as the application was ill-judged. You have widely mistaken my character if you think I can be worked on by such persuasions as these. How far your nephew might approve of your interference in his affairs, I cannot tell. But you have certainly no right to concern yourself in mine. I must beg, therefore, to uh, be importuned no farther on the subject. And then Lady Catherine brings up the elopement, or near uh, the infamous elopement, she says, of her younger sister. 
And that really pisses Elizabeth off. You can now have nothing farther to say, she she resentfully answered. You've insulted me in every possible method. I must beg to return to the house. Uh, So she's saying, look, that's it. Um, uh, But, of course, that's not it for Lady Catherine. She says, you are determined to ruin him in the opinion of his friends and make him uh, the contempt of the world. Neither duty, nor honor, nor gratitude, replied Elizabeth, have any possible claim on me in the present instance. No principle of either would be violated by my marriage with Mr. Darcy. And with regard to the resentment of his family or the indignation of the world, if the former were excited by his marrying me, it would not give me one moment's concern. And the world, in general, would have too much sense to join in the scorn." He's saying, look, if if you know if marrying Mr. Darcy would make you and your relatives unhappy, that's not my problem, and the world the world doesn't care who we're going to uh, who whether who he marries, um, and of course Lady Catherine leaves with the wonderful line, "I am most seriously displeased," um, which I believe is her last line of of dialogue in the in the book and seems very appropriate. She's always seriously displeased, but very seriously displeased at this. Now, this conversation between uh, Lady Catherine and Elizabeth, as well as just being really funny, and it shows the the strength of character that Elizabeth has, uh, her quick wittedness, her stubbornness. Um, her uh, her refusal to be cowed by Lady Catherine. And Lady Catherine cows everyone else in the novel almost. Uh, I mean, think about how, how Mr. Collins is, is intimidated by her. Um, but Elizabeth is not. She goes toe-to-toe with her. Uh, and this is, you know, this is like, a, you know, this for, for a novel like this, this scene is like the big action climax thing. This is, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, and it's it's a real pleasure to see the, the verbal fencing that they do with each other. And it's especially gratifying because Elizabeth is so clearly is the victor. Now, in chapter 15, Elizabeth starts worrying about, you know, what does Lady Catherine, what if Lady Catherine goes to Darcy and has the same kind of confrontation with him? page 246, it occurred to Elizabeth that she must meditate an application to her nephew and how he might take a similar representation of the evils attached to a connection with her she dare not pronounce. So she's worried, you know, these arguments seem ridiculous to me, but that might, they might bear more credit with Darcy. Again, she's really not sure about how interested he is in her. Um, and meanwhile, her father gets a letter that he wants to read to um, uh, Elizabeth. He says, I did not know before that I had two daughters on the brink of matrimony. And so it's a letter from Mr. Collins. And, of course, Mr. Collins um, is is upset uh, like because Lady Catherine is upset that uh, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy might get married. And... Uh, Mr. Bennett just sees this as another example of what a, a silly fool uh, Collins is. This is. On top of 248, Mr. Darcy, you see, is the man. Now, Lizzie, I think I have surprised you. Could he or the Lucases have, have pick, pitched on any man 
within the circle of our acquaintance whose name would have given the lie more effectively to what they related. Mr. Darcy, who never looks at any woman but to see a blemish, and who probably never looked at you in his life. It is admirable. Uh, Mr. Bennett just thinks this is hilarious. Can you believe it? They think Mr. Darcy wants to marry you. Isn't that funny? You don't like him. He probably hasn't even noticed you. Elizabeth tried to join in her father's pleasantry, but could only force one most reluctant smile. Never had his wit been directed in a manner so little agreeable to her. And Mr. Bennett you know, sees that she's not really taking, is not taking this joke as much fun as he did. And she says, he says, the top of 249, for what do we live but to make sport of our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn? Oh, cried Elizabeth, I am excessively diverted, but it is so strange. Uh, and, and yes, he says, yes, that is what makes it amusing. You know, his perfect indifference and your pointed dislike make it so delightfully absurd. And Elizabeth, thinking about it, says, her father had most cruelly mortified her by what he said of Mr. Darcy's indifference, and she could do nothing but wonder at such a want of penetration, or fear that perhaps, instead of his seeing too little, she might have fancied too much. So again, uh, Aust Jane Austen keeps the kind of the, the suspense going here, is, uh, it, and it really, it's cutting. He's indifferent to me? Is he? Is that what my father thinks so? Maybe he's maybe he's wrong. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm imagining things. Um, all right. But in chapter 16, we finally get Elizabeth and Darcy alone together for a conversation. And she says the top of 250, they're, they're walking the other. They were out with uh, Bingley and Jane, who kind of wanted to be alone. And then uh, her, her sister, Kitty, uh, wanted to go somewhere else. So finally, they're all by themselves. And Elizabeth says, the top of 250, I can no longer help thanking you for your unexampled kindness to my poor sister. Um, and he, Darcy, takes that and says, uh, If you will thank me, he replied, let it be for yourself alone, that the wish of giving happiness to you might add force to the other inducements which led me on, I shall not attempt to deny. But your family owe me nothing. Much as I respect them, I believe I thought only of you. Elizabeth was too much embarrassed to say a word. After a short pause, her companion added, You are too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you will silence me on this subject forever. So he's saying, look, don't don't tease me here. And just with that, we realize Darcy has been worried about this on the other side. Does she like me or doesn't she? And he says, look, I still love you. I love you as much as when I, I proposed marriage to you last April. Let me know if you still feel, if you say you still don't like me, I'll never say another word about it. Elizabeth feeling all the more the, the common awkwardness and anxiety of his situation, now forced herself to speak, and immediately, though not very fluently, gave him to understand that her sentiments had undergone so material a change since the period to which he alluded as to make her receive with gratitude and pleasure his present assurances. Uh, again, that, this kind of wonderful... And again, 
uh, Austin chooses not to give the specifics of the dialogue because it's not the specific turns of phrase. It's not like the, the, the kind of the duel between Lady Catherine and Elizabeth uh, where the, the nuances of the back and forth or the fun of it. It focuses on the emotion, how she feels about this, uh, the, the general point that she gets through. Um, and you find out that his aunt uh, did call on him um, at the top of uh, 251. And it turns out that Lady Catherine told Darcy all about the conversation she had with Elizabeth, dwelling emphatically on every expression of the latter, which, in her ladyship's apprehension, peculiarly denoted her perverseness and assurance in the belief that such a, a relation must assist her endeavors to obtain that promise from her nephew, which she had refused to give. But unluckily for her ladyship, its effect had been exactly contrariwise. It taught me to hope, said he, as I had scarcely ever allowed myself to hope before. I knew enough of your disposition to be certain that, had you been absolutely irrevocably decided against me, you would have acknowledged it to Lady Catherine frankly and openly. Elizabeth colored and laughed as she replied, Yes, you know me, uh, you know enough of my frankness to believe me capable of that. After abusing you so abominably to your face, I could have no scruple in abusing you to all your relations. What did you say of me that I did not deserve? So now we get back to the, the, that earlier uh, proposal that went badly. And here we see, this is very important because we see how, we begin to see this from Darcy's point of view. He says, look, all those things you told me, I deserved them. Um, you know, the, the actual um, things you accused me of were wrong. But the, the thing, and he says, the, the, the phrase that stuck in his mind he says, I shall never, uh, your reproof, so well applied, I shall never forget. Had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner, those were your words. You know not, you can scarcely conceive how they have tortured me. Though it was at some time, I confess, before I was reasonable enough to allow their justice. He said, if you'd behaved more like a gentleman. And that really cut him, and it cut him because he knew it was true. He had not behaved like a gentleman. He had been proud and aloof um, and not not the, gener the generosity of spirit that a real gentleman would have. And Elizabeth, you know, so we find out that Darcy has had the same kind of process that Elizabeth went through of rejecting those things that Elizabeth said, but eventually coming to accept them. In the middle of 252, it says, but think no more of the letter. The feelings of the person who wrote and the person who received it are now so widely different from what they were then that every unpleasant circumstance attending to it ought to be forgotten. You must learn some of my philosophy. Think only of the past as its remembrance gives you pleasure. So she's basically saying, let's let the past be past. Yes, that was kind of, there were wrongs done on both sides. And that uh, uh, earlier proposal went badly, but let's not think about that and the letter you sent me and all of that. Let's just go forward to the future. But Darcy here is very, very open with her. And he says, I have been a selfish being all my life, such I might still have been, but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth, what do I not owe you? You taught me a lesson hard indeed at first, but most advantageous. By you, I was properly humbled. So his pride, the wind was taken out of his sails. His pride was um, 
taken down a peg. And Elizabeth asks him about what happened, what did you think when we kind of met by accident at Pemberley? Um, he said, did you, you, did you blame me for coming? He says, no, I felt nothing but surprise. I had hoped to obtain your forgiveness, to lessen your ill opinion, by letting you see that your reproofs had been attended to. How soon any other wishes induced themselves, I can hardly tell, but I believe in about half an hour after I had seen you. So we're clearing the air between Elizabeth and Darcy. We're seeing that Darcy has had his own uh, uh, personal growth that has gone on uh, just as Elizabeth has. And she also finds out that, yes, that part of the reason that Bingley is here is that Darcy has uh, recanted his feelings about the marriage between Bingley and Jane. He realizes that uh, Jane and Bingley, love that there's love on Jane's side where he thought there might not be. Um, and uh, he, though he doesn't say it directly, he knows this is what Elizabeth wants. And so he's going to help make that happen too. Now in chapter 17, uh, we get, a, a, it starts out, it says uh, in the second paragraph of that chapter, Elizabeth, agitated and confused, rather knew that she was happy than felt herself to be so. So she's she's very happy. She knows that she and Darcy are going to get married. But it's also kind of very embarrassing because the rest of the family hates him. Or not hates, but certainly dislikes him. And in fact, that night when she tells Jane what's happened, um, it says, he still loves me and we are engaged. Jane looked at her doubtingly. Oh, Lizzie, it cannot be. I know how much you dislike him. And, and she says, are, are you quite certain that you can be happy with him? There can be no doubt of that. It is settled between us already that we are to be the happiest couple in the world. But are you pleased, Jane? Shall you like to have such a brother? Very, very much. Nothing could give either Bingley or myself more delight. But we considered it, and we talked of it, as impossible. And do you really love him quite well enough? Oh, Lizzie, do anything rather than marry without affection. Are you quite sure that you feel what you ought to do? Oh, yes. You will only think I feel more than I do than I ought to do when I tell you all. So Elizabeth is saying when when you realize what Darcy has done for the family and all the you know the reasons that we all have to love him, uh, you'll you'll understand my some part of my affection. Now the next day, uh, uh, Darcy comes and Mrs. Bennet, of course, is very upset that disagreeable Miss Darcy is why is he always coming here. Um, and of course, he's coming there to ask the father's permission for marriage. That was the convention. You know, uh, Bingley had done that as well. And this is another one of these great comic scenes, uh, 257. Um, he, Mr. Bennett brings Lizzie in and asks her, Lizzie, he said, what are you doing? Are you out of your senses to be accepting this man? Have you not always hated him? Um he says at the bottom of the page, we all know him to be a proud, unpleasant sort of man, but this would be nothing if you really liked him. I do. I do like him, she replied, with tears in her eyes. I love him. Indeed, he has no improper pride. He is perfectly amiable. You do not know what he really is. Then pray do not pain me by speaking of him in such terms. And notice what Mr. Bennett's concern is. He says, I know that you could neither be happy nor respectable unless you truly esteemed your husband, unless you looked up to him as a superior. Your lively talents would place you in the greatest danger in an unequal marriage. 
you could scarcely escape discredit and misery. My child, let me not have the grief of seeing you unable to respect your partner in life. You know not what you are about. He's worried that Elizabeth is just marrying Darcy for his money and that she doesn't really like him. And he, Mr. Bennett knows from his own bitter experience that an unequal marriage, not unequal in, in rank or class, but unequal in personality and intellect, is not very satisfying because that's the kind of marriage he has with his own wife. And he doesn't want that for his, his little girl. But Elizabeth's trump card is to tell uh, her father what Mr. Darcy did. You know, Darcy did everything, made up the match, gave the money, paid the fellow's debts, and got him his commission. And as Mr. Bennett sat quite still and unable to utter a syllable. Um, so he is, uh, is agreeing to this. And, of course, Mrs. Bennett is delighted. How rich and, and uh, how great uh, will you be? What pin money, what jewels, what carriages you will have. Jane is nothing, Jane's is nothing to it, nothing at all. I am so pleased, so happy, such a charming man, so handsome, so tall. Uh, again, Mrs. Bennett, all she can think about is how rich she'll be. And suddenly uh, th that disagreeable Mr. Darcy is, is handsome and tall and wonderful and everything that you could want in a son. So we see, the uh, again, the, the contrast of characters of Mr. and Mrs. Bennett in their reactions to their daughter's uh, engagement. Now, chapter 18, the, the, the penultimate chapter of the novel, I think is very, very important. It begins, Elizabeth's spirits soon rising to playfulness again. She wanted Mr. Darcy to account for his having ever fallen in love with her. How could you begin, she said. I can comprehend your going on charmingly when you had so at once made a beginning, but what could set you off in the first place? He uh, says, I cannot fix on the hour or the spot or the look or the words which laid the foundation. It is too long ago. I was in the middle before I knew I had begun. And so she's, no, she's uh, rising to playfulness. She's kind of teasing Darcy. She says, did you admire me for my impertinence? For the liveliest of your mind, I did. And she says, You were sick of civility, of deference. In your heart, you thoroughly despised the persons who so assiduously courted you. There, I have saved you the trouble of accounting for it. And really, all things considered, I began to think it perfectly reasonable. To be sure, you know no actual good of me, but nobody thinks of that when they fall in love. Was there no good in your affectionate behavior to Jane? Um, so they have this kind of teasing back and forth, right? Um, and she asks him, you know, well, what made you so shy of me when you called after and uh, dined here? And he says, uh, because you were so grave and silent and gave me no encouragement. But I was embarrassed, and so was I. You might have talked to me more when you came to dinner. A man who felt less might. Um... So now, you know, again, uh, the kind of openness of this, and they're, they're talking about their, their feelings and, and all of this and being very honest about it, Elizabeth says, but I wonder how you would have gone on if it had been left to yourself. You know, if I hadn't brought up that I was grateful that you helped Lydia out, uh, it might never have happened. And he says, no, no, don't worry about that. He says, um, Lady Catherine's unjustifiable endeavors to separate us were the means of removing all my doubts. 
<laughs> basically, once Lady Catherine said that, uh, told me all of what, what you had said, I knew that you still might have feelings for me. And, you know, Elizabeth asks him in the middle of 261, what did you come down to Netherfield for? Was it merely to ride to Longburn and be embarrassed, or had you intended a more serious consequence? My real purpose was to see you, and to judge, if I could, whether I might ever hope to make you love me. Now, one reason why I think that this this part of the chapter is so important is it gives us a picture of what this couple will be like when they're together. Uh, there's an openness, there's an honesty, uh, a complete frankness with each other. Uh, Elizabeth is able to be playful with him. Uh, and you can see in this, he really is not a very, even here, he's not a very playful person. But she can kind of tease him in a way that nobody else is able to. It shows us what a wonderful couple that they're going to be. Now, the final chapter is kind of a curtain call. Uh, it goes through all of the major characters and tells us what they were doing and all of that. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but I, there are a couple of them I want to look at. One is Mr. Bennett. This is uh, last chapter, page 263. Mr. Bennett missed his second daughter exceedingly. His affection for her drew him oftener from home than anything else could do. He delighted in going to Pemberley, especially when he was least expected. So we feel, the, the, again, the, the deep affection that Mr. Bennett has for Elizabeth, uh, that he doesn't like to leave home, but he will to see her, and he especially likes it when he's unexpected. From the very beginning of the novel, we saw how much Mr. Bennett likes a surprise, going to see Mr. Bingley and not telling anyone about it and then springing it on everyone. So he still gets to do that. So in all of these little vignettes at the end, uh, fit in uh, just great little character notes. We get an insight into the characters even here. Another great example of that is the letter that Lydia sends in the middle of 264. I wish you joy. If you love Mr. Darcy half as well as I do my dear Wickham, you must be very happy. It is a great comfort to have you so rich. And when you have nothing else to do, I hope you will think of us. I am sure Wickham would like a place at court very much, and I do not think we uh, we shall have quite money enough to live upon without some help. Any place would do, of about three or four hundred a year. But, however, do not speak to Mr. Darcy about it if you would rather not. So she, they're hitting her up for money already. You know, with, oh, I'm so happy for you. Man, you're really rich. You know, we could use some money. Oh my God! This is so. This is Wickham and, and Lydia now. Again, if it's right in their character, that's not going to be a happy marriage. Um, and that's a the final note I want to leave this on is that uh, it, it certainly is a happy romantic. Everyone lives happily ever after ending, but it's also one that acknowledges the r realities that aren't always happy. Uh, I mean, the marriage of. Lydia and Wickham is not a happy marriage. They are not going to be do well together. Um, there is also sadness. You know, the father is is separated from his daughter. Um, so Jane Austen finds a way to. Uh, it's not a fairy tale ending. It's a realistic ending. It's it's it's. Uh, there are trade offs. Uh, there there's some people who are happy. Some people who are not. Uh, but we can see that the 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 main couple that Elizabeth and uh, Darcy will be happy together because they uh, 
because of everything that the book has shown us. It's not just, uh, uh, and they lived happily ever after. We can understand why these two could live happily ever after. All right, now, next time, I would like you to read the opening chapters of three novels by Charles Dickens. Uh, They're the opening chapters of Bleak House, Great Expectations, and Our Mutual Friend. Uh, We don't have time to read a lot of the great, big Victorian novels uh, in this class, but I want us to look at Charles Dickens, at at least the opening chapters of three of his greatest novels. And I want you to think about how each of them sets up a particular tone and style. What kind of world is he creating in each of these uh, openings? Uh, and how does he do it? What's the, what is the impression you get? And how does he create those impressions for his reader? So uh, thank you for your attention, and I will talk to you next time.